Welcome to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm Bruce Wozniak, and wherever you have found the show, thanks for listening. This podcast is widely available, so know that there are lots of options out there to listen and subscribe. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter about the podcast. There have been some exclusives in the newsletter that either haven't been made public anywhere else or were at least first seen in the newsletter, so be sure you're signed up for that. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from right here in Tampa, my guest is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist who is also an actor, producer, entrepreneur, and author. He has written and published one book, three scripts, seven albums, and more than a thousand songs. He has had a hit on the U.S. Billboard charts and a number one on MTV's most popular music videos. One of his songs is approaching a quarter of a million streams on Spotify. He has traveled to 40 countries and performed for thousands, and the videos on his official YouTube channel have gotten a combined total of well over two and a half million views. You've been hearing a song of his called All I Need. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Delon J. Hello. <laughs> hey there. Welcome. How's it going? Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for making time for this. Looking forward to it. Of course. This is awesome. You wear a lot of different hats, as evidenced by everything I just listed off there in the intro, so we've definitely got plenty to talk about today, but first, let's have you tell the audience all about the song that was just playing called All I Need. Sure. Um, All I Need is a song I wrote about my girlfriend, (laughs) long and short. Um, The first first verse was definitely about her, and then kind of like siphoned off into a creation um i wrote it on the guitar and then you know we kind of put it together with the band and uh you know i'm really proud of it it's, i think we're at right now 998,000 listens on that song mm. on spotify so we are almost cracking 1 million and we are all very excited to get to that space that's a big space for us we've never been there before and we're also a very new band we we released in september um, of this year, September 15th was our first EP release. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's go back a ways so we can set the stage here for the audience. Sure. You were born in California, but are of Sri Lankan descent, and you were having big success over there as a rapper. Talk about not just sticking with that and riding it out as long as you could. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, rap is a incredible art. It's it's got it's 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 a way of expressing yourself in a in a way of poetry that can't really be mimicked in any other type of art, and I really loved it and I had a really good time doing it. But when you're a musician, and I started off as a DJ since I was a kid, I was 12, and I started you know really diving in and became a you know I wouldn't say a professional DJ at 12. I just started DJing then. Um, you keep advancing as a musician. And so, you know, I went from playing music to producing music, from producing music to writing music, from writing music to rapping music. And it was kind of a natural progression to go from rapping music to singing music, because I think that's one of the hardest skills anybody could have. 
uh, is to learn how to sing, especially when you don't come from a family of singers or a family of artists. Mm. It's really hard. <laughs> so um, that's the reason why I didn't, per se, stay with rapping, though I do in town hall rap a lot. Um, I just wanted to pursue, I wanted to expand and grow. And so, you know, my fan base has grown with me. I still have actually one of my songs is currently on the radio in Sri Lanka right now. And last year, I think I had two number one hits there um, from the new stuff. Or this year, sorry, 2020. And I admire that because it would have been easy to just kind of stay in that comfort zone and take the attitude of if it ain't broke, don't fix it and just kind of roll with it as long as you can. So I admire that you said, you know, I wanted to grow and you showed the progression of how things were evolving for you musically and said, I want to grow into a singer next instead of just staying here. So hats off to you for doing that, because obviously the majority of people would have just said, hey, this is working for me. I got to just stay and see how long I can continue to have success as a rapper. Yeah, well, you know, also, I think it's music for me is a passion as well as a business. So, you know, I didn't start DJing for money. I started DJing because I wanted to hear the music that I thought the DJs weren't playing, mm. you know, because I wanted to dance. And in my middle school, you know, they weren't playing the music I wanted to hear and I wanted to dance and have fun. So I told my older brother, Hey, you know, let's start a DJ company and we'll play hip hop because in my school they weren't playing that. So, you know, for me, like I love the success that I've been able to have, but you know, I really look at this, you know, industry, especially when you're looking at the arts, is something you have to, you have to love it, man. It's not easy to be in this industry forever. You have to really love it. If you're doing it for fame or money, you know, it's likely that I've seen people, you know, start after me and finish before me mm. in the music industry, you know, because they, they were there, they wanted the girls or I don't know what they wanted, but it's sure they weren't passionate about just being a musician. And I think that's kind of like step one. Well said. Well said. Back on episode 345, my guest was Amritha Shakti, who was born in India but now lives in Australia, although she actually went to college in the U.S. And she talked a lot about using her music for empowerment and exploring the cultural differences she has experienced. And Delon, similarly, it is said that you too, through acting, through music, through writing books, you want to inspire everyone of color to rise up and claim their place amongst the greats. I'm thinking that that goal was set long before the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that happened this year, yes? Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine that as a rapper, there's still nobody that looks like me. You see an Indian rapper. (laughs) 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 No, you don't. Not in the United States, you don't. Um, And and it's not so much about you know claiming your space with the greats it's more like um because i don't i can't remember when i said that um that would have been a really long time ago it's kind it's kind of more like look everybody grows up like for instance what was your favorite thing to do when you were growing up like what was your passion because i know you love doing what you're doing yeah as a kid though it was watching sports well there you go right so like maybe you wanted to play sports or you like just watching it? Uh, I played it a little bit, but it was more about watching it. Although ultimately I ended up getting to work in sports, which to me felt like a dream job. Right. So there you go. So like 
you being a telecaster for sports, right? You'd have to look at all the telecasters, right, who are doing sports, and you'd have to see, oh, look, there's guys there that look like me, and inherently, I'm guessing there was, right? Mm. Like, obviously, there's... Wow, yeah, Right? Yeah. So then you would know immediately, like, oh, that's possible. Oh, look, there's a dude there, and he, I could be that guy, right? And so what ends up happening when you're born here as, you know, even though I'm American-born, you know, I'm from an immigrant family, when I say, hey, I want to be... Uh, you know, a rapper, or I want to be a musician, or I want to be an entertainer. You, you can't look up anywhere on television and find that. You mm. can now in 2020. But you sure as hell couldn't find that in 2010, right? Mm-hmm. And still, till this day, we don't have our, you know, massive mega star. We don't have the rock of actors that's Indian or Sri Lankan, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're creating that. We're kind of like the forefathers of that. You know, you have me, Aziz Ansari, Mindy Colling. Um, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, right? Nanjiani, like you, 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 you starting to see, you know, little glimmers of it here and there, and um, I think it's more about that. I think it's more about changing the paradigm of the way someone views their ability to accomplish a goal, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. If like Jack Ma, he's fucking Chinese, right? Like, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. You know, he he's Asian, right? So like anybody who wants to be a billionaire can look at Jack Ma and be like, oh yeah, that's possible, right? So it's just an interesting, it's an interesting kind of psychologically trapping thing when it's not there. Like for instance, the moment Obama became president, I felt like, oh, I can do it. Mm. Now I know I can do it. Wow. Chain got broken. Wow. You get what I'm saying? And how? So the main thing is, is kind of like, I was born an artist. That's just the honest truth. That's why I've spread myself into so many different arts is because for me, I don't exactly know what the American public will allow to stick that I do, wow. right? And say, that's the thing. So I just do it all because I feel like hey you know why not you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like being that you know I never had and I haven't yet let's just say I haven't yet you know been you know uh, um, casted for like a major film like Kumail Nanjiani Nanjiani now has like he's going to be in a new movie that's a Marvel film Mm. which is going to change kind of like the way people view Indian people because he's also going to be ripped in that film so he's going to you know, you know, change the conversation, like, Mm. you know, the dialogue, right? 10 years ago, or even 20 years ago, all we were known for was 7-Elevens and curry chicken, you know? So, so, you know, it's all about changing the conversation, right? Yeah. Black people have to do it too. Black lives matter, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's just an interesting thing. So I, I would say it's not so much like claim your place with the greats. It's more just like claim a place where people can see you and know that you exist to give them the same ability to know that they can be acknowledged and exist for their arts. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Wow. wow yeah, it's, it's a little bit more humble than that. I think what I, I, I don't remember when I said that, but it's, it's a little bit kind of lower in level than that, because I, I think that people become great after, you know, after years and years of being in the industry and kind of like showing that, their greatness is admired right so like you can't go from like just being like nobody to being like the greatest person on earth it's just not possible you know like in one shot let's just say that (laughs) well but you know the thing is that 
and I hate that I always go back to this example, but I always hold on to interviewing Justin Johnson and him talking about the fact that he makes shovel guitars, meaning guitars out of like shovels that you use to turn dirt. And he and I talked about the fact that he's a phenomenal guitar player and you just want to discover his music. He doesn't want to be known as, oh, the shovel guitar guy. And we don't think of the rock by his heritage. We just think of him as the actor that he's become. And so you don't want to be, oh, the Sri Lankan actor, oh, the Sri Lankan performer, musician, whatever. You just want to be known for the work that you do on film, on music recordings, whatever it is, and have it become so widely accepted that anyone can do these things that it's just about what they're creating and not what the color of their skin is or their background or anything like that. Yeah, I'll tell you something very interesting, right? So I used to have this idea, right? Like I wanted to put my country on, right? And which is not a bad idea when you start, especially in hip hop, because you always have to represent something, mm-hmm. right? Hip hop is all about like representing your hood or your city or your team or whatever it is, your gang. Mm-hmm. So I got into this kind of like idea that I should represent my country, right? So I had a label called Salon Records. Salon was the original name for Sri Lanka after we were colonized by the English. Right, but before actually, it was called Selanam Depot, was the original name of Sri Lanka, long before colonization. So I called the label Salon Records. And then at some point, when I finished rapping, I changed the name of the label completely because what I thought was I don't want to just pigeonhole myself to being Sri Lankan and everything that I do revolve around that uh. for lots of reasons, right? For lots of reasons. So now it's called Halcyon Media Group, which is like, you know, after a bird that's peaceful and, and loves, right? Because if you think about it, the bottom line of, of music or entertainment is that it speaks to the masses. If you want to have a hit song, it's most likely going to be a love song. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's like Adele. It's like mm-hmm. who hasn't experienced loss or who hasn't experienced love, right? Mm-hmm. Adele doesn't have to be an English singer. She's just a uh, singer. Wow. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so this is um, one of those things that I think I've grown out of in time. Well, I'm glad that you said those exact words because talking about growing out of something, there are a lot of listeners of this show who are aspiring performers listening each week to learn from me and my guests. And they think that they know adversity because they struggle to get gigs or they struggle to get better gigs. But you knew a whole different level of adversity. Talk about losing your home, your car, tens of thousands of dollars and more, and then unleashing a new musical direction. Sure. You know what? It's it's so crazy because you would never suppose that this could happen. I, I, I worked all of my life. I got famous when I was really young, saved up money, saved up money. And I'll tell you, I saved up $180,000, mm. right? Over 10 years. And then I lost it all. <laughs> mm. Wow. <laughs> Which is a lot of money for a fucking 27, 28-year-old kid. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I lost it all. And... Um, I don't know. I grew up in a middle-class family, you know, like my dad came from a very poor family. He lived on the streets in Sri Lanka. So by the time I was born, we, you know, we were like middle-class, you know, in America. So I never had the experience of having nothing, right? Even mm-hmm. though I come from a country that has nothing, like we'd go home and um, 
you know, you'd go to your grandma's house and there's squat toilets and no modern medicine and no hot water. You know, like we know poverty, mm. but we didn't grow up in it. Right. Mm -hmm. My dad grew up in poverty. I grew up as a middle class kid. So I've pretty much been okay financially. Yeah. Right. I got a scholarship to go to college, you know, and if I didn't pay for it, my dad did. I was very lucky in that way. Right. Asian families, they really support college. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of school, then I got a job. Right. Then I got famous. Uh, so I had money all the time. I've had money since I was a kid, right? Um, maybe not my money when I was a kid, but I've had been taken care of, right? The, the food, clothing, shelter. Yeah. So finally, when I decided, hey, listen, I want to go do this thing, right? I quit my job and I went hard, you know, and I paid for these marketing and promotion companies and radio promoters and all these guys. And I was in hip hop and I got taken bad and like i didn't spend it all on music obviously i was living for two years i had car payments i had an apartment in mm -hmm. la mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so in within two years it all dried up and it was all gone and at that moment i asked myself this question and you know maybe this doesn't relate to everybody because maybe people started off you know in a more impoverished space but i said would i be the same man that i am today if i had no money Mm. Right. Wow. I don't know the answer to that question because I've never been a man who didn't have money. Right. Like nothing to my name. Mm -hmm. So I let it ride, dude. I didn't even try. Like I <laughs> just let it ride. I sold everything. I sold all my couches. I got rid of my cars. You know, I had nice cars because I was working a nice job, you know. And I actually, it's almost like a social experiment. I wanted to see what type of man I would become when I had nothing. Wow. What type of man would I become if I had nothing? Wow. Right? So then I moved back in with my parents, which a lot of people don't even have that ability, right? But once again, I had that ability, so I wouldn't say that I had nothing. I had my parents, right? Who let me back in the house. And, you know, it's embarrassing. You know what I mean? I'm not going to lie, dude. <laughs> you know? Of course, of course. Super Super embarrassing. Number one artist in my country for years. I still have the number one most downloaded song in the country, you know. And I'm living at home with my parents because I have no money. <laughs> mm. And and um, I ended up borrowing from my ex-girlfriend almost $4,000 just to, like, pay off stuff that I had. All my credit cards were maxed out, and I had, like, I don't know, seven or eight cents in my account. And I went to go meet my friend for lunch. And he's like, hey, man, don't worry, I'll pay. I was like, bro, I ain't got no money. Like, I can't really. Like, I got to eat at home. He's like, no, no, it's cool. I got you, right? So I go eat with him, and he goes, his name's Reggie. He's like one of my best friends. I've known him for a long time. I'm actually kind of like his older brother, like I'm his mentor. So mm -hmm. he says to me, he says, DeLon, so what are you going to do? And I look up to him, <laughs> look up at him and said, I have no freaking idea, Reggie. Mm. Wow, wow. <laughs> And he could tell I was ruined, you know? Yeah. I was ruined, you know? I'm like, you know, I wasn't like drinking in the middle of the day ruined, but, you know, I was ruined. Yeah, which you and, might as and, well have been. <laughs> right, exactly. And and I'm laughing about it, just like I'm laughing about it with you. Uh -huh. And he goes, Delon, one thing about you, man, you never change, bro. You're always the same guy. You're mm. always a happy guy. With nothing in your pocket or with hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket, you mm. seem to always be the same guy. Wow. And when he said that to me, I was like, ah, shit. See, that's what I wanted to know myself. Yeah, I got my answer. <laughs> yeah, I got my answer. Because the thing is, is that money never drove me, you know? 
my I'm driven by my passions. I'm driven by making music, you know, making art, you know, friendships, right? Like relationships with people, like because I was a DJ for so long, the amount of people like I've been in, interacting with, you know, and performing, it's like I love I feed off the energy of people. It's like Superman gets his energy from the sun. I get my energy from communicating with people. And they can be mm. random as shit too. Like I could just go to a random bar and just go and go talk to people because I find it quite fascinating. I think people are the most interesting thing on earth. <laughs> well, I just want to go back, though, a few steps, because if you're okay with talking about it, and of course, I understand there might be some legal stuff involved, and you may not want to name names, I'm not asking you to, but can you just kind of give us an example of, you know, how you got taken, like how you lost money yeah. in the music business? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I hired a radio promotion company, cost me thirty or $40,000. This guy worked for Universal, supposedly, you know, in quotes, and now he had his own company. And then he took me for a ride. Mm. And then he disappeared, didn't answer his phone, and just basically took my money. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll get you. And, like, I wanted to go over to his office and slash his tires. Like, I was getting real gangster in my mind, you know? And I knew where he lived. I knew everything about him, you know? But I just, I don't know. I, I ended up not doing it. I just kind of like felt like that's when I told you like I, I just let it ride because I was fighting in the beginning right because mm -hmm. I knew I was running out of money so I was fighting I was fighting with him I was fighting with my manager who like we had a number one on MTV and like supposedly we're not getting any calls for shows which makes no fucking sense right I'm yeah, sorry yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, and I'm like fighting with the manager I'm fighting with the promo guy I'm like you know I'm like fighting with people and I don't like to fight you know and so Finally, I said, you know, F it. I'm done with these guys. And I just cut them out. I blocked their emails, and I let it ride. But, yeah, you, you can get taken. I mean, hip look, I'm going to tell you right now, and this goes for any new artist. Do not ever do radio promotion because you have to understand you're going up against thugs. Who are the thugs, right? And I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm just being honest, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is Universal, Warner, Sony, and cats are thugs. Like, they, they own the radio. Like, if you're not signed to them, don't expect that your music will get on the radio and flourish. It may get on the radio for a moment, like a blip, but if it gets a little too big, one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to swallow you, like sign you, or they're going to spit you out and push you off the radio, right? And that's, and just by the way, like, this is not just music. This goes for anything in life. Like, if, if I'm making a product, if I was going up against Coke and Pepsi, you think they would let me get shelf space? Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. You understand? Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the way of the world, right? So if you're an independent artist, you're an independent filmmaker, right? Like, if you want to get to that point where The Rock is or where um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is or where Kamel Nanjiani is, like, you have to work inside of the system. So you have to imagine that if you want to get to that space, you have to go independently until you get found out or until someone knows who you are. And then you have to find the best deal that works for you inside of the system. And you have to join that system. And okay. that is just the long, that's the long and short truth. Okay. Okay. But yeah. I have two follow-up questions though, back to the incidents that you were describing. Number one is why did you not pursue legal action against the quote unquote promoter who took all that money from you? Uh, and number two is what is the what is the lesson that you learned from that? I, I'm I'm thinking that it's you know do a better job of checking people out first or, or vetting them or whatever. But I, I want to give you the opportunity to answer that also. Yeah, no, actually, that's not the answer. Even though that is a good answer, um, 
why didn't I pursue legal action? Because I had no money. <laughs> mm. Yeah, good point. Good point. I have no money to sue the guy. How am I supposed to sue him? I need a lawyer. <laughs> you know what I mean? What lawyer is going to take on a case for free, right? Yeah. When, like you're, you're, in a, you're in a really bad spot when because like this is the music industry too, right? So he's radio promotion. If he's radio promotion, then the the bottom line is is like he can't guarantee you anything. So what am I going to sue him uh, for not answering my freaking phone call? Yeah, you understand? that's true. Wow. Wow. Right? Like th- th- that's why I said it's very dicey. So, so actually, the answer is not vetting the person. The answer is, what is my responsibility in understanding the game? You get okay. what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. Be- because that's the wrong game I was playing. I was okay. playing the radio game. I should have been playing the tour game. I should have been out actually out doing shows. Like the thing that me as an artist or you as an artist have to do. Like if you're going to be a radio personality, you got to do interviews. Like if you're not doing interviews, who are you? You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't do five interviews and then expect somebody to put your radio show on, you know, on tilt, right? Like yeah. it's not going to end up that way. So, so, you know, for me, it's like, I'm not, I don't really try to find how, you know, like put it this way. It's like, should it have been a, an apple sliced in a diamond or an apple sliced in, you know, in a square? The answer is it shouldn't have been an apple at all. Hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, Yet this, I like step back 30,000 feet and said, let's think about like what my responsibility is in handling this situation. Like, because obviously the end product is to become a famous, well-known artist that's acknowledged for the work they do. Right. Yeah. That's like the end yeah. goal. So, so then the, the route that you take to get there can be very varied and especially in entertainment is incredibly varied. Right. Like an example would be, I just booked, probably 30 to 60 shows, maybe even more for town hall coming up in 2021, starting when, you know, when COVID is out mm-hmm. or like, you know, when it's more approachable for us to do shows, uh, through a guy who I met through a barber who asked to hear my music when I was tired and didn't even think about showing it to him mm. who called that guy. And then that guy called me and then I met with him and he's like, I'm already on tour. I want to take you with me. Like, you that's a that's a very varied result. Like, how the hell is that? You know, how, yeah. how is that supposed to happen? Yeah. Like, you get what I'm saying? Yep. yep. So, 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 so it's like it's too much of a of an arbitrary to figure out how to make it in the industry. But my answer now, knowing much better, because when I became famous in Sri Lanka, it was an accident too. Like, I I went there, I met a guy who knew a guy on the radio. Our radio isn't locked because we don't get royalties in Sri Lanka yet, so. Hmm. Um, he took me to the radio. I played a song called Jeevate. Jeevate was a song about being proud to be Sri Lankan. Four days later, the tsunami hit and my song became a hit. Like hmm. that's so varied. Like and that, how? that song may, may have very well not been a hit in Sri Lanka, but we were in a time where we needed a song to represent the country. And my song became that song. Wow. Wow. But yeah, I get what you're saying, though, because it's like, you know, going to the casino in the old expression, you know, bet it all on black. It's like you were you were saying, well, I want to become famous, so I need to have my songs on the radio. And it's like, are you sure you want to make that bet? Because that's a long shot, just like going to the casino and say, you know, I'm going to go to the roulette table and I'm just going to bet that one number. Like, OK, you know, it could happen. But boy, you're really putting all your eggs in one basket. So I, I get it. And that, that's a great lesson. Yeah, it's a huge lesson. I mean, the, I, I would say even the lesson about the casino is like going into the casino at all. Like, why don't you just work hard on a business? Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, why are you going to the casino at all? And that's the that's the thing. It's like, 
I didn't know what kind of sharks I was dealing with when I was in the tank. You mm-hmm, get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't know the power of industry, right? Because you have to imagine, like, even though I may call them thugs, I got mad respect for them because at the end of the day, these guys have worked 150 years on those labels to put these positions in place for themselves. They've spent countless millions of dollars to have these relationships with these radio stations. Yeah. How can I come in and spend $30,000 and expect to blow up on the radio next to guys who've already spent, done the work, did their time, and paid their dues? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. That's a great case study. It's very, very insightful. I do wonder, though, you put out an EP in 2018 and another EP in 2019. So where are you these days with new music? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so anyway, so moving forward, just to, to like round out the answer to any artist who's looking to do whatever it is they do, uh-huh. right? The, the answer is creating content, right? So, like, as a musician creating content and then showing that content. So like for me, my job is to be out playing shows. So last year I played, not last year, the year before, before COVID, I played 110 shows and half of them were open mics, but I did my job. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, it, so it's like I have control over playing shows. Like I know big shows, you, once again, you get into the bureaucracy of that, but still you can do your thing. Like you have to, like if you're an artist, you need to paint. You need to create ways in which you can show your paintings off, right? Like going for the lottery right when you start is, you know, it's it's, it's a, you know it's a one shot in a million. So like I didn't make that shot, and most people won't, you know. Justin Bieber did, so that's okay. But that's great for him, you know. But understand that you can try that, but have you know know that what you have to do, not a backup plan in like in terms of another job, just a backup plan in terms of like knowing the hard work you'll have to put in to really get to where you want to go if the one in a million doesn't work for you. Exactly. So, so okay, so moving forward, yes, so uh, during COVID, we started this band called Town Hall. Now, uh, I released music in 18 and 19 under my own personal name, Delon J, when I started to sing, right, because I changed my direction mm-hmm. into singing so that way I can kind of last the test of time, right, because I don't want to be like a 40-year-old rapper. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So... At the end of the day, what I wanted to do was just change my direction so I can have longevity. Like, you know, Lionel Richie can be 80 and still singing and people would love him. Yeah. You know? So, 18, 19, I put out two vocal albums that were only singing, kind of like just to pull my own singing skills together, really not them tight, right? Mm. And then um, in 20, I met uh, my bandmate, my now bandmate, Evan. Miranda, who, you know, heard all my music and was like, man, you're really great. I'd love to do a band with you. And I was like, man, I've never done a band before. I don't know about a band. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, like, this is interesting. I've been a solo artist my whole life. But, you know, I love bands and I've always wanted to be a part of a band. So I said, okay, screw it. Let's do it. So we started this band called Town Hall. And the song All I Need That You Heard is one of those songs off that band. So that EP released September 15th. And before I left L.A. and came here, October 15th, we finished a completely new EP that will release next year. Okay, okay. So we got five new songs coming out next year. Fantastic, fantastic. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from right here in Tampa, Florida, by singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Delon J., who is also an actor, producer, entrepreneur, and author. Visit his official website at delonj.com. You can look at the title of this episode to get the proper spelling of his first name, although I will have a link to his website on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. 
Once you land on his site, look for the links to engage with Delon on social media, specifically Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. His music, as you've heard me mention a couple times, is streaming on Spotify, as well as on SoundCloud, both of which, of course, are platforms that you can hear this show on. The best way to support Delon, of course, is to purchase downloads of his music from the likes of iTunes, and we have more that we're going to talk about, too, that I'll give you some additional online destinations for in the second half of the show. For those in the audience that don't know, I am an artist's manager, publicist, etc., with more than 15 years running Now Hear This Incorporated and currently serving clients from Hollywood to Las Vegas to right here in Tampa and other points in between. Take advantage of all my years of experience in the music industry and in podcasting, for that matter, through a private one-on-one video consultation with me. Just go to nowhearthis.biz, and of course that's H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.biz, and the article titled Video Consultations Now Available, and then book a session so I can help you with whatever challenges that you are having. Delon, in 2019, you were in a film called Hollow Point, which also starred comedian, actor, and fellow podcaster Jay Moore. It won four film festival awards, and your lead role made you the first Indian slash Sri Lankan to star in an American action film. Congratulations on all that, and bring us up to date on what might be currently in the pipeline acting-wise. Sure. Um, I wrote a film called Crossing Over that got development funds just about, I would say, four months ago. Uh, so we're developing that film as we speak. Uh, the script is in its first. I did the script, and now we have a revision. And then I have to read it, and and we'll uh, we'll, we'll close on that script, and then we'll get the um, the budget and uh, the schedule, the shooting schedule, and then we'll take it to the festivals, and we'll pick a sales team and the actors, and we'll shoot that next year. Wow. I think that's where we're at. Wow. And all that, when you say next year, you're talking about 2021? Yeah, we got to shoot it. We have to shoot it next year because it won't release then until 2022 or three. You know how movies are. They're long process <laughs> scenario. Okay. I mean, I thought music was long. Filming <laughs> four years, you know, maybe even five. Well, as I always say, it's a good inspiration for the listeners to stay up with you on your website, on social media, et cetera, to watch the evolution of that project yeah that'd be great i mean i would love that also like you know hollow point is still not released in the u.s and will be in select theaters coming in 2021 when people can finally get back in theaters it was ranked number three in the uk when it came out on netflix um when it on the day it came out so you know this is you know these are exciting times you know and you know i just kind of like man i don't know i'm just in love with with what's happening in um in the world and with my life and my surroundings, you know, the people that are with me, I'm having a really good time. Well, for someone who's always talking on this show and writing a lot of my weekly blog that this is what you just said, it's a new economy and no one is really doing just one thing these days. I'm, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a hypocrite when I ask you this, but with all that you've had going on, all the success that you've had in music and film, what made you decide to expand into being an author also? I didn't think that, that would ever happen, my friend. That was not on purpose. Mm. So I was, yeah, that was not on purpose. This, this, the author thing is complete anomaly because I was, you know, I'm, I'm busy, you know, I'm already so busy. And um, I met a guy who, uh, when I was on tour, uh, 
next to Harvard, right, Boston, who I just met, like, you know, when I was eating breakfast at, at, at a place I was staying. And I'd never seen the Harvard campus, and he was he was getting his master's there, so I asked him if he could show it to me, and we'd become friends eating breakfast. And he said, sure. So he walked me and my girl around, and we, you know, this and that, and then we sat at a um, cheesecake factory, and this girl comes up, and I'm chatting with her, and this guy's Asian, and he says to me, bro, I don't get it. I said, what? He's like, man, you just know how to talk to anybody and make them your friend. Like, I don't understand. I was like, I'm... Like I just met you this morning and I'm like sitting here with you having lunch <laughs> <laughs> and I pretty much spent like two hours with you when I had other shit to do. He's like, how do you do that? And I said, I don't know. I was just natural. And then I had my girl, I said, do you really want to know? She said, sure. And then I, I had my girl put the voice recorder on and I just broke him down. Like the whole, the whole philosophy that mm. I have on meeting people, you know? And, uh, that, voice recording because he said after that hey you should write a book people would love to hear this information uh, so he sparked that idea i was it, never thinking about writing books but okay never. but but why did you tell her to turn on the voice recorder then i'm curious because that that struck me when you said that oh because i was about to explain something that i'm never going to explain again <laughs> <laughs> so i would have rather had it lit, like recorded so that way i don't have to say it again because it took me an hour and a half to explain to him Wow. Wow. Well, it was obviously compelling because like you said, here's a guy that you had just met that day and there he was spending hours with you and saying, sure, I'll give you a tour of the campus, even though I've never met you before. And sure, I'll have lunch with you. And and so for that matter, I I want the audience to understand what what the topic is that we're talking about here, because I looked at both BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon and they show that on June 8th, your book will be released titled How to Be More Confident with Women, Seven Easy Steps for the Genuine Guy. So with all the books that are already out there about dating, how is this different, and, and why would someone who does music and films write in this category? Oh, well, first off, it's different because there's no psychological tricks. There's no pickup lines. There's no crap mystery. There's no putting women down. There's no weird ways of walking up to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Morgan James Publishing, you know, uh, which is a publisher in New York, right, read it, they were like, wow, I've actually never read a date, a book about dating and being confident with women that didn't have a bunch of shit in it that I didn't want to hear as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was like, well, that's because my approach isn't about meeting women and trying to get their numbers. My approach has been and will always be about meeting people, men and women, and becoming their friends. And so that's the difference. The difference is is that I don't do that. I never did it as a kid, and I don't do it now. Well, and you've said it already during this interview. You've said... You know, that there's nothing more that you love in this world than people. Yeah. And you said that you just naturally gravitate towards relationships. And you said early on, and I knew that we were eventually going to talk about this book, but you said early on, I could just walk into any place and just randomly start talking to some person I've never met before. So this is obviously something that just comes naturally to you. And I get it, by the way, because when I was a bachelor, I would stumble across these bizarre and obviously it was you know a lead magnet but they would try to get you to click on something where some guy is going to give you you know 47 tips on how to get any girl and it always just felt 
so yucky yeah. that you didn't want to read through the whole sales page. And so you're saying that's what makes my book different is none of that kind of nonsense is in this. Yeah, no, I don't do that stuff. I don't do that stuff at all. Like, look, when I was a kid, okay, and this is a true story, like, you know, I went to school with like 11 people in my class all the way till sixth grade. So like there was five guys and six girls. And so we were all like brothers and sisters, mm. right? And then when I, when I went to public school, uh, you know, I went from 11 people in my class to 210 or 215 wow. people in the grade. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're going through puberty and your body's changing and girls' boobs are getting bigger and, and you're starting to see the difference between men and women, right? Before that time, I don't really see much difference. Obviously, women are women and men are men, but like in terms of how they're treated or whether we play basketball together, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a little different when you're in elementary school. So, you know, I asked guys because I wasn't, you know, people are cursing. I never used to cuss, believe it or not. People are cursing. People are talking about, you know, porn and all sorts of weird stuff. And I'm in sixth grade and I don't get it. So I tried all their tactics, right? I tried it. I tried to show off on a basketball court. I played with eighth graders when I was in sixth grade because back in like elementary school, there was only one team and it was the eighth graders. So from fourth grade on, you had to play with them. So <laughs> by the time I was in sixth grade, I was very, I was good enough to play with eighth grade. Anyway, I tried that. I tried, you know, like, uh, I don't know, trying to be cool, this, that. I threw rocks at the freaking gardener, got suspended because people said they like bad boys. I tried all this crap. I wow. did in sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, I said, F this crap. I'm not doing this anymore. And I sat on a stair by myself and watched over the cafeteria because in public school, it really is. You have to go in the cafeteria. I don't know if you went to public school, but, and you have to walk into that room and like all the, you know, kids are clicked up in their clicks. And you got to find a place to sit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's 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 freaking it's it's a it's it sucks you know especially if you're not popular and not cool it really sucks so I decided f all that I'm gonna sit outside and you know watch over the quad from where I sit and one day a girl who was in my class came up to me asked me why I'm sitting by myself and I said well I like to you know watch people and she asked if she could sit with me and we became <laughs> freaking friends you know what I mean. <laughs> And then after we became friends, she brought her friend, and then her friend brought her friend, and then her friend brought her friend. Before you know it, there were 17 girls sitting around me, and I was the only dude there. Wow. And I was friends with all of them. And, and, and it wasn't like a game, right? I was just really actually friends with them. And then, the, you know, all the cool dudes came, and they're like, yo, bro, can we sit over here? You know what I mean? <laughs> and that was seventh grade. And then in eighth grade, I ran for freshman president because by that time, everybody knew who I was, and I won. Mm. And then I became very popular. But, um, you know, I don't know the makeup of the arrangement of things. I don't think it's meant to be that way. I don't think, I don't think you're meant to walk up to a girl and look at her body first. You get what I'm saying? Well, what I really like about everything that you're saying is, you know, I have preached over and over on this show and, and written in my weekly blog that it is so much about relationship building and so much about networking. And yes, at some point you do have to have the talent but as you talked about before, if you're going to try to get the attention at some point of a major record label uh, or of whoever it is, you have to build relationships. And the way to build relationships is to be yourself right. and to not be the phony like you were describing. So you're yeah. applying it to this book of yours, How to Be More Confident with Women, Seven Easy Steps for the Genuine Guy. But you're practicing what you preach, and that's serving you in the film industry. That's serving you in the music industry 
because people are going to want to do business with Delon J because of the guy that he is and they see that he's not a phony and that you're not just trying to use these clever lines on them because you heard this is a good line to use on somebody to get your way. And so to me, there's tremendous transference of what's in your book to the industries that you're in entertainment-wise and just flat out coming from a place of being genuine and being yourself and letting people see who you really are. Yeah, I agree, man. I think what you're saying makes total sense. I totally agree with you. I think that's I think that's what it boils down to. And in my book, I say something very simple. If you can't approach a woman the same way you approach a man, then you've already messed up your intention. Mm. Because your your intention should be the same, exactly the same as when you approach a man as it is when you approach a woman. Wow, that's powerful. Intention, yeah, and if those intentions have changed when you approach a woman, then your intention is off. We have to go check that first. That's powerful. Well, I did say in the intro, too, that you're also an entrepreneur. In fact, you've taken this book idea and actually expanded it to where you even offer courses and coaching, too. Yeah, we have a coaching program. Um, So this is so funny because it's all born. These things aren't contrived, right? Like me becoming an artist was not contrived. I wanted to dance, became a DJ, ended up producing music, then rapping. So I wasn't thinking like when I was a kid, I'm going to be a rapper. I was kind of just living and the livingness of life turned into me becoming an artist right um and the and the course is the same thing because we talked to morgan james and we said hey listen we'd love for this book to do well i mean i wrote it i want people to read it right (laughs) and so she says well listen delon you know books are like loss leaders you know like even if you sell a million copies you're not going to be a millionaire right um so you got to use your book as a way to promote something that actually is sustainable um, that you can do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, what's that? She's like, well, a lot of people do courses and this and that. And then we were like, oh, I see. You know what I mean? They kind of work with each other. You do a coaching program, which helps make the book popular, and the book makes the coaching program popular. It's kind of like, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk and all these guys, sure. like, you know, they all have coaching programs. Sure. And it, you know, the thing about it is like, I could have said, okay, well, I don't want to coach people, but the thing is I love teaching people (laughs) (laughs) and I love people. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. What a great idea. (laughs) You know? So, so, you know, I said, you know, let's do it. it. (laughs) You know, let's do it. So, you know, I created a program that was based around the book and, you know, we're looking for guys that are you know, not down and dirty in the ditch. You know, we're looking for guys who, who are really having a problem finding the right woman. We're not looking for players. You know, we're, we're looking for guys that, you know, like when I was recently, you know, like broken up with my ex, right? And I met Jen, which was a year and a half ago, and she's, you know, like my soulmate, right? I, you know, I, I wasn't poor. I, w- I wasn't bad at meeting women, but I also, like, didn't know where to go. You know, but like, Uh obviously I have the information, so I knew where to go, but like I did, I tried the apps and I tried the this and I tried the that, you know, society puts you in this space where you end up kind of like getting on the conveyor belt of society. Right. But like at the end of the day, you got to get off that belt if you actually want to find the right things in life, because the conveyor belt will give you, you know, a square box in a muffin and wrapped, you know, and it's, you know, (laughs) you know, it's got preservatives in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want that. (laughs) 
you want something unique to you and you can't be on a conveyor belt and have uniqueness. That's just not the way it works, right? So it's gotta be different. So, you know, with that being said, I think, I think, it, I think it'll help a lot of guys and why not, dude? You know, here's the thing. A family is like the most important thing you can have. Raising your kids properly is probably the most pinnacle point in your life if you have kids that'll change their lives, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, my parents, they fought a lot. You know, I would, I would almost argue they weren't really meant to be together. Now, they have been together for 45 years, right? Wow. Um, so, so I commend them, you know, and, and I love them, and I love them for taking care of me. And, you know, when you have a broken home, it's, it's just really hard. Like, if my dad wasn't yelling at my mom all the time, maybe I wouldn't have been so aggressive as a kid. Who the hell knows? But the bottom line is, is if I get a chance to help men find the right woman, you know, and they have a really paired match, when they live their lives, A, they're going to be happier themselves. When they, should they choose to have children, those kids will be in a beautiful environment. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the 80s and 90s, like cheating was like a thing. Like everybody did it. You know what I'm saying? And like now it's like not a thing. Like you shouldn't be doing it. Like even you could see stars don't even do that shit anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's just not, it's not anymore like a part of the way society should be run, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen because a lot of times people pick the wrong partners. They don't know how to get out of it. They're too chicken shit. And then they end up causing, you know, a problem, right? So it's probably just better to start off on the right foot with the right person. So that's kind of what the book's about. Like, you know, first understanding like how to communicate with a woman, which would be the same way you communicate with a man. So it's really how to communicate with anybody. Then the next step is like how to find the right woman for you, you know? That, that that duplicates you. And now that you've described all that, I can totally relate to it because, again, going back to my days as a bachelor, to me, there weren't any quote-unquote resources out there. There were only dating websites. And so when you would get frustrated with that, you had nowhere to turn to. Yep. Your only resource that you would turn to is friends and family who, you know, w- what qualifies them to give you the advice that they give you? I mean, someone would say, well, the qualification is they love you and they want what's best for you, but they're not coming from a place of background and knowledge and education in the subject matter. They're just coming from a point of, I care about you and this is what I think you should do, but they don't know that it works. And and again, I still think that there is transference of what you're talking about over to the entertainment business because out there in in the entertainment business, let's face it, unfortunately, as much as strides have been made, women get objectified. And so you, as an entertainer, Delon, are in a position where you can tell other entertainers, no, 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 you look at that person as a fan just as you look at that person as a fan and you build relationships with your fans so that you build up your fan base. You don't look at them any other way. And how are you doing that? It's because of this book that you wrote and because of the skill that you have of, of relationship building. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something else, man. Like, you know this because you're in entertainment. Like, a lot of times I'd produce these really, really hot chicks, right, when I was a producer. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes at the end of the production, this and that, they would – some of them would, well, some of them would be like, man, I can't believe you never try to hit on me this whole time. Mm. And I'm shocked that they would ask me that. They say that. Wow. Cause I'm like, I'm kind of shocked that you'd even say that. She's like, yeah, because I've never met a producer who's not hit on me. Wow. Right. And then some of them are mad. Like, man, I can't believe you didn't hit on me. What's the deal? <laughs> I'm insulted. <laughs> yeah, I'm insulted, you know, because they've gotten so used to it. Wow. It's a way of life. Mm. You know what I mean? What a shame. It's like a way of life. Women getting objectified is a way of life in entertainment. 
you know, and all this me too shit. I mean, that's real shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That stuff is so real. Well, we're in the home stretch so, here. I just wonder, we've covered a lot, but what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned from both working in entertainment as well as the coaching that you do? And, and what can listeners take away from them? Um, I think the greatest, one of the greatest, two great lessons is if you want to achieve a goal, like be a musician or be a, an actor, you have to do the art a lot, Right. Because doing the art a lot is what makes you good at the art. And being good at the art is what allows other people to see your talent. A lot of people, they just don't do enough. Like I've written over a thousand songs. I've done a lot, you know? And now it's been way more than that because that was five years ago when I did a thousand songs. It's got to be, I got to be with those maybe 1,200, 1,200, 1,300 songs. Um, that's step number one is just, if whatever it is that you want to do, if you're a writer, write a lot. You know, I couldn't even say like I'm a t- I'm, I'm a, a film writer, script writer, because I've only written three scripts. So who am I? You know what I mean? There's a guy right behind me who's written 15. You know what I mean? He look at me and scoff, and I understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, that's one. And then the other thing is, is that I think that it's 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 trite. It's a little bit trite what I'm going to say, but it's important. I think humility is like really important. I think telling people what you're doing is not a good idea. I think you listening more than you talk is probably the best lesson I've learned. When I was younger, I would talk a lot. I would tell people how great I am, how cool I think I was, you know, how good looking I thought I was, you know, like just shit that's like, even if it's true, is irritating to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or how dope dope I think my song was or how I thought it was going to be a hit and everyone's going to love it. You know what I mean? It's better to just do stuff and let it actually happen. And then, you know, talk about it after, you know, I never told anybody that I sold my film to Lionsgate. I actually sold it to Lionsgate in the U S and then I sold it again to vertical. So it's currently with vertical for distribution, but my Mm. first sales was to Lionsgate. Right. Um, but I never told a soul what I was doing until I signed the contract, you know, because in this, you know, in this entertainment industry that we live in, um, and it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of people who don't want to see you succeed because they themselves have not yet. That's right? right. That's right. And you don't want that energy on your lines. You don't want it on your communication lines, on your personal lines, on your business lines. And, and you don't know like what anybody is feeling so it's better that you just don't test it, you know what I mean? Because it's your career that you're playing with, not their opinion. <laughs> and the last thing, like an addendum to that would be, like artists always are searching for evaluation. Like, hey, what do you think about my song? What do you think about my art? What do you think about my show? I say cancel that crap. I say do what you do and do what you feel. And if you don't like it, do it again. If you love it, put it, put it to rest and do another one. Like constantly asking for outside evaluation constantly causes artists to skew their original thoughts and ideas for someone else's willingness or wants. So until you're done with it, right, and you feel finished, don't show it to people. Wait till it's done. Yeah, and before when you were talking about nobody knew that about the deal that you have with Lionsgate, you know, I love I love that advice because until something is signed, sealed, delivered, 
you know, there's just too many things that could change, and you could tell all kinds of people, and now all of a sudden you're going to have to go back and explain to them how, oh, it didn't end up happening after all. So you're better off just not saying it until it's a done deal. Right. It just keeps you in a safe space, and it allows you to perform your business, you know, with the with the energy that you've created for it yeah. instead of anybody else's outside energy. Yeah, and I've noticed one recurring theme throughout this whole interview is you have always gone back to encouraging people to create content and you've given examples of that i mean obviously you're practicing what you preach and i love that because i just felt like 2020 with the coronavirus and the quarantine and everything i felt like it was too easy of an excuse for creators to say oh well i guess there's really nothing i could do i guess i'm just kind of putting my feet up on the desk until this all blows over no absolutely not it's a great opportunity to reinvent yourself and say cool like now i really get to create stuff because i have more time i can't go out and perform and all those things that you've always said you know some rainy day that was the rainy day so i love how encouraging you've been delon of saying you have to constantly be creating content so that people can see your talents and what you're doing yeah, man. And here, just to give like a case in point, I sold a movie during the pandemic. I started my band during the pandemic. I got mm-hmm. a million views on the song during the pandemic. I wrote my book and got the deal during the pandemic. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, I can't, you can't use the pandemic as your excuse. It should be actually the reason why you push harder. When, when, think, when people start laying back is when you should start moving your but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. come on, this is when all the majors can't do anything right now. They can't take you on tour. They can't do crap. This is when the small guy can actually excel. Yep. You know? Yep. I love it. I love yeah. it. We're going to close today with another song of yours, one called The Countdown. First, though, tell the audience all about this song, please. Yeah. So it's only a minute, 30 seconds long. Um, Jay Z had a song called 22 Twos where he said two, 22 times. Uh, in this song, I explain my whole life counting down from 15 to zero. So it's 15, 14. So I say 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So that was like the goal. I kind of made it like fun because the lyrical content has to match the year in which it happened. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. That's clever. That's clever. So that's how it goes. Awesome. Delon, great stuff. Really good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being on Now Here This Entertainment. I really enjoyed it, and best of luck with the book. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me on here. So I hope you have a great, great day out here in Tampa. It's a beautiful day today. (laughs) Usually is. Usually is. And Happy New Year to you. Thanks, man. You too. Have a great New Year. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist Delon J., who, as you heard, is also an actor, entrepreneur, and author. Visit his official website at delonj.com. And again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Once you land on his website, in addition to lots of content that he has there, do also look for the links to Delon on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you've listened to this show long enough, you know that, yes, I already liked his Facebook page myself, and I followed him on Instagram. Remember, too, that you can also follow him on Spotify and SoundCloud. But, of course, the best way to support DeLon is to purchase downloads of his music from iTunes and other online music retailers. His book, 
How to Be More Confident with Women, Seven Easy Steps for the Genuine Guy, can be pre-ordered now through barnesandnoble.com as well as Amazon. Be sure to let DeLon know that you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. A reminder that if you are an aspiring performer or podcaster, take advantage of my more than 15 years in the music business and my almost seven years of podcasting, and let's do a private one-on-one online video consultation. Just go to nowhearthis.biz, that's spelled H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.biz, and in the article titled Video Consultations Now Available, You can click on the link to book time with me to help you with the challenges that you're having. The new year is a great motivator for investing in yourself and your career and overcoming whatever hurdles you've been facing, and I look forward to helping you through that. For now, that's going to do it for episode 361. Thank you ever so much for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from Delon J. This is the one he just talked about. It's called The Countdown. Yeah, it took 15 years to fall into the right groove. Shed 14 tears, welling in my 13s with that DJ gear. Probably had a dozen fans, but shit, I didn't care. 011 was a year before I lost my career. On tour with Lindsey Sterling, kicked off because of fear. People to sheep, yes, they get here to everything the press say. I just close my ears. 10 years of meditation, I conquered fears. Fuck me from the inside. Nine inch nails. No, I've never been the type to back down from a Fight. But I'm at peace with myself, so homie, you could be right. Like an A to its side, I have infinity's might. Keep going through the years, damn it, singing is tight. Any rapper, why don't he stay in his lane? Seven mayor albums later, man, guitar in my hand. Singing about life, lost, and all of the above. Why you put me in the box, homie? All of me is love. Six albums that I dropped, homie. All of them was tough, independent through the years, homie. All of them was rough, but life gets better. Made that cheddar, five million in the bank. Double down, that was four years later. Three films in the tank, and two that I wrote, one book on the way, man, I'm going for broke, wash all my heroes, Gandhi, Mandela, and Musk, go against all odds, and Tupac, I trust, seen the green numbers fall, you could call me Neo, final words for this rap, you can't tell me zero.